This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. The latest, biggest week of the season is here and it's begun with two wins from two for Manchester City and we can't ask for more than that. It was, let's be honest, a comfortable trip to Turf Moor at the weekend but then any fears that Atletico Madrid's stubbornness would be overly frustrating were buried in the second half by a Kevin De Bruyne effort. Two professional performances from Pep Guardiola's side, maybe for different reasons. But now it's crunch time. Liverpool are up next at the Etihad and we might know a little more about how the title race will go by the end of Sunday's game. Win and City take a healthy four-point lead. Lose and they're suddenly having to play catch-up while the draw probably piles on even more tension for all of us. On today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be discussing all of that, plus we'll take a look at some of City's previous nervy games at the Etihad, and we'll hear from a City fan and author whose new book detailing his life growing up supporting the club from afar is out now. I'm David Mooney, and I'm joined by City fan Chris Hickenbottom. Hello there. And Goal.com's City correspondent Jonathan Smith. Hello, good to be back. Welcome back, John. Um, let's start with you for uh, for this th- these two games because uh, we were talking on last week's show about uh, starting to feel a bit of the nerves. Um, and I said in the intro that it was a, it was two professional performances, maybe for different reasons. It's been it's been a good week, hasn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's two victories. Um, it's 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 one game further on in the in the title race. Um, safely secured three points. A good performance. Um, and an advantage in the Champions League, so yeah, I think it has to be good as a good as a good week. Yeah, um, Chris, when you when you look at um, the Burnley game uh, in particular, I, I found that, or I thought that um, when they'd gone two goals up, it was a, it was an excellent display in how to conserve energy, keep the opposition at arm's length, but then like not do too much to exert yourself with the, with knowing what's to come. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we were afforded that kind of luxury approach with the. The early bag, but um, yeah, it was very measured. When it uh, it was a lot easier than I, ante- I mean, easier is probably the wrong word. It it was a lot less fraught than I anticipated. Um, again, because of that early goal, but yeah, going into the game, I was just like, oh my god, this is going to be horrendous. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just preparing yourself, stealing yourself against uh, the inevitable horribleness that is playing Burnley but uh, you know relatively speaking it was a, a walk in the park compared to what I thought it would be yeah I mean the the, the contrast though John is is that um, Atletico really I mean they parked a bus well, they didn't really park a bus they parked kind of pretty much every bus they could find in front of that uh, that goal at the Etihad and then as much as as we felt like the Burnley game might be fraught, did you feel that that, that fraughtness going into the Atletico game especially as the minutes ticked by and City hadn't broken them down yeah, I think so. I, I mean, one one thing I would say is that I still think, even if it finished nil nil, that City would be. I don't know if maybe maybe not favourites for the to go through, but maybe fifty fifty. Even if even if it had been nil nil, I still would have fancied them to get a result in Madrid, and one nil just gives them a slight advantage. I mean, the, it's it's going to be interesting how Atletico approach that game because I mean that was the most defensive I've ever seen, uh, and, and you think about some of the sort of League Two clubs that have come to the Etihad in the FA Cup and the League Cup. Oh, yeah, OK, some of them have had an absolute battering and stuff like, stuff like that. But there have been teams who have tried to keep it as tight as possible, championship teams as well, Premier League teams at the bottom, trying desperately. But nothing quite like what Atletico did. And, you know, that's, the, that's, a, good, that's a good side. That's the champions of Spain. They've got talented players. They've got Felix, who's, a, you know, 
brilliant attacker. Um, obviously, Griezmann, Suarez on the bench. You've got pace all over. Um, you feel you yeah. feel better than doing that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, was, I mean, if you've got great players and you play defensively, I guess in theory you're going to play great defensively. Um, but you know what? What was? I mean, I was quite kind of surprised after the game how Simeone was almost praised by the Madrid press with some of his questions about how well they'd done, what a great performance it was. You know, that's a 130 million euro striker playing for you and he didn't have a single shot on or off target. You know, I don't think a Premier League manager would get a, get away with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, still focusing on the Premier League, Chris. Um, what do you think about that that Burnley game and, and how easy City took it in that second half? I, I, I did feel like um, there, there, there's extra gear. I mean, I mean, maybe even in both performances, there was extra gears needed there if, if, if City really needed them, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, and to an extent, you know, you didn't want them to take the foot off because you're always aware at the back of your mind that uh, goal difference might be a factor and you know when you're in such a you've got such a grip on a game in such control it's like well you know punish them get the goal tally up it might be you know pivotal at the, the end of the season but obviously you've got to have one eye on the next game it's, as, as we've said it's the is the business end of the season. It's the most important week again of the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you credit where it's due. We did we did the job that had to be done. If we'd have gone gung-ho and, heaven forfend, got caught on the break by Burnley, <laughs> then obviously there'd be a massive inquest and people would be absolutely demanding um, explanations as to why we didn't just See it out. You know, yeah. remain satisfied <laughs> with the with the three points. And uh, to be honest, with the um, if I may, uh, you know the the Atletico game, I kind of have a respect for the way Simeone did that. I mean, he knows what his priority is there. He wants to come away. It's a complete damage limitation, isn't it? Very negative, but they did set a few traps for us um, in that setup and. It's credit to us that we didn't allow them when the, the few occasions that they did steal the ball off us. We didn't allow them any sniffs uh, in attack. I know they, they weren't set up for attack, but they were set up to break when they could. But we, we nullified that as well. It was that tight that the channel to Sterling, it seemed to me about three quarters of the time, was actually blocked by the ref because he just didn't have anywhere else to go. He kept standing in that kind of inside left channel and we were looking for Sterling and it's like ref you're in the way again I know it's tight man but stand stand somewhere else like you know the ref couldn't even find space and he was like an extra <laughs> defender for them it was ridiculous it's, it's, a like, great, uh, it's a great it's a great asset to have sometimes as the away side isn't it <laughs> well yeah 12 men yeah it is yeah, uh, yeah. they're like I've, I've, I likened them to Burnley with a tan um, Atletico they were that negative but yeah a begrudging respect from me yeah, um, let's have a listen to what uh, what Guardiola thought of the performance because he was asked afterwards uh, about the display in uh, basically in the way that they uh, that, that they had to break down two banks of uh, Atletico's players during 25-30 minutes play five five so it's so difficult to find spaces which happened long years ago will be now will be in the future but we were patient enough except the first ten five ten minutes the second half we attack. Not the right rhythm. We would like to talk more about our rhythm, but the way we play is the way we played. But uh, yeah, good result. We won the game. 
Yeah, one in Burley, one today. Prepare next one. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. He seems quite chipper, I think, John. Yeah, he's, he is very relaxed at the moment. Um, and certainly after the Burnley game, um, when he came into the press conference after the match, he was absolutely sort of buzzing with it because, uh, yeah, it was a it was a game that City would um, expect to win, obviously. But I think it, it it was a reflection of where where the team are. You know, they they, they get up for these games, and um, obviously coming coming off the back of that Palace game when they were a little bit anxious, um, yeah, they were right on it from the start. Got the early goals, killed the game, controlled it. Uh, like Chris was saying, you know, they, I, I think. It, City do deserve a lot of credit in terms of the way they played Burnley and Atletico. They just kept them so far away from goal that they haven't created a chance. You know, you know, when you look at the heat map from the game against Atletico Madrid, um, you know, was, everything was played in the last twenty yards of the pitch almost. Um, yeah. So that you know, there was always there is a risk uh, with so much wide open space to run into um and it just you know there was there was maybe a little glimpse of it at the in the first few minutes when there was a, a ball over the top where nothing ake was sprinting for a long way um but he got there and and that, that was kind of it i was worried at that point <laughs> it was like oh my god he's faster than him we're in for a torrid time here he's yeah his number was up it looked like that that might be the way that let's go and try and yeah, find a find a weak spot in, but you know, Ake was has been superb in both games. I, I was yeah. going to say, Chris, it's been a big week for Ake, hasn't it? Um, mm. His his stock must be must be rising at the minute. He's had a, he's had a I think he's had a really difficult kind of start to his City career because he spent the pretty much the whole of the first season injured, and then he's been in and out of the team since, and it's he's like not been able to put a run of the games together. Suddenly, he's been asked, you know, can you do it on two games this week? And the answer is yes, he can. Yeah, he kind of cuts the figure of someone who is nervously trying to establish like a proper rhythm, which isn't at all easy or even possible if you're um, not playing that many games. And we're no strangers to seeing people come in and take up to a year to you know to gel. Um, I believe is the term <laughs> into the side technical term that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like he's done, he's done really well. He's he's been competent without being um you know stand out amazing but that's also testament to the way the team's playing because he's not um been needed to do anything much other than kind of the bread and butter stuff but when called upon what he's needed to do he's, he's done really well i think people uh there's not that many things to be negative about our, our team with and people seem to see him as uh, a bit quick to chide sometimes with Daki and it's all oh, what do you expect from the man I mean he's 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 done pretty well most of the time he seems to be passing well he makes sensible decisions he's uh, very good in the air I mean he's just you know he's ticking all the boxes for me yeah likes a goal line clearance as well John I mean he didn't know it was going to be he didn't know he was going to be offside but uh, but it was a good clearance yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the the highlights on Match Today later, and I thought, God, it looked like a really good game. That looked really close because they showed they showed sort of three chances for Burnley, including that one that was offside. And, I forgot about uh, that. Uh, 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 I mean, it wasn't really the story of the match. City absolutely <laughs> battered them. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of really happy for Ake because I think this is why he joined the club, and 
and a lot he's he's coming for a little bit of stick of you know why have you join City you don't you just sit on the bench and stuff like that well well you know this is it these are the weeks where you, he's around to say when the chance comes I'm ready to play and I won't let you down and you know I think he's been a little bit unfortunate when you when you go back to the summary he was signed you know John Stones was nowhere uh, and he's gone from nowhere to being back to being well he is the best England centre back going and and that's that's harmed Nathan Ake because you know alongside Diaz and Laporte he's very much kind of the fourth choice um but this is the this is his chance to come in for for a run of big matches and to do so well and, it, and, it, and it's great for him yeah i mean it's a, it's a fair meritocracy isn't it that pep runs and you you play well then you can cement your place and uh, i think uh you know, there's a few examples of that. Another thing as well, sorry to cut in, my sister saw him in a restaurant with Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> Aki was with De Bruyne, not, not my sister. But um, people were asking to take photos and um, Aki, when the people went over the fans to interrupt their meal for photos, he actually said, what, me me too? Oh. So he wasn't even expecting to be asked to be in the, the photo. So if you want a metaphor for uh, how he feels about being in, in the picture then uh, maybe that, that sums it up because he's been trying to establish himself, doesn't maybe quite feel 100% involved, but keeps putting performances in like that, then, uh, yeah, power to him, he will be. That makes well, me feel was, really sad. There was, one yeah. at, but there was one at Barcelona, I think, where I can't remember who the player was, but a fan asked Messi to take the picture of the fan with this player. So, you know. If it, it happens to Messi. It happens to the best, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Guardiola was also asked after the game um, about uh, the relationship between, or, or well, the impact from uh, Phil Foden from the bench. Um, I, I want to talk about this because I want to talk about uh, the kind of growing relationship between um, Foden and De Bruyne. Um, this is what Guardiola said about uh, bringing Foden on. His reception is always forward. Have a, his paces in the first steps are massive. And have the composer to make an incredible assist to Kevin and, and do it. And after the two actions, yeah, the field was brilliant. We knew it in the beginning with Gabriel and him, especially when we need, you know, to change with the game was a little bit flat. What happened could change it when they were a little bit more tired. And Jack, for the control of the game, give continuity to the game. And they did it and they were brilliant. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, there, there, there is there is a relationship blossoming, certainly between Foden and De Bruyne, isn't there, Chris? Yeah, you can see it. Um, I mean, I don't know if it was ever kind of not there. They're two very supremely talented footballers. You'd expect them to, um, you know, be able to work out each other's movement and playing together and stuff. But the way they combined with uh, Phil coming off the bench against uh, Atletico, it was, he had a point to prove, didn't he? You could see the way he was uh, really on it that he perhaps thought he should have started. But I think perhaps we might not have got that level of intensity from him if uh, if it had started the game. But some of the footwork he was showing and like that outside of the left foot, um, Pass to De Bruyne. 
obviously the Megs for the goal. And where there was, he there was one City, City didn't score from it, but there was one where he, he did that thing that I can't do, where uh, you know, when uh, yeah, little kind of like shimmy across, yeah. Um, but he did it like three times in a row and beat beat defender after defender after defender, oh. got to the byline and cut it back, but it did like it didn't quite find, oh, no. I think it was De Bruyne, and it was just like, oh, please score, that. please score that one. So, I yeah. loved that, but yeah, he was looked absolutely fantastic. And just, did you see the look on his face after the goal? I didn't know. If you look at the little celebratory celebratory huddle, um look on Phil's face, he's just sort of dead eye, not not laughing, just like the most determined, kind of focused, uh steely eyed glare on his face as he pumped the air with his fist and uh got a nice little cuddle off the lads. It was just uh I was like, Yes, Phil, yes, <laughs> Phil, you are so up for this. That Good. was all about you. Go on. Yeah. John, there's uh, two De Bruyne goals this week. Um, it kind of feels like, I mean, he is, he's the star player that everybody talks about anyway, but it kind of feels like he's quietly kind of flicked the switch for the end of the season, hasn't he? So it's almost like he's put himself yeah. in gear to go. Yeah. Um, I think Pep mentioned it after the match. He said he's in, coming into a good moment. And I, I think that's five in five, five goals in five games now, is it, for De Bruyne? So, yeah. And also, obviously, he didn't join up with Belgium in the international break, so maybe had a little bit of a rest. Um, you know, he's, he's very relaxed anyway. You know, he, he, he once once the game's over, he, he kind of takes himself out of it with his family and what have you. But, um, yeah. His, his family and Nathan Ake. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. <laughs> His little brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all know how good De Bruyne is, but when he's in this, when he's in this mood, you know, he's, I think... Obviously, with no striker this season, his stats are a little bit different to what we normally associate with him. Obviously, the assists are down. That's because he hasn't got that, sort of, that natural movement of a striker where he, he knows exactly what's going on. It's a little bit, you know, the false number nines are not always playing on the shoulder of the last defender. So that perhaps doesn't work to De Bruyne's skills so much. Um, but he's making up for it with goals. Um you know, it was a great strike against Burnley. I looked at, I mean, I don't want to get into a debate about XG, but I looked at it after that goal and it was 0.07, which I thought, I don't know, was it maybe this angle outside? I thought it was a better chance than that. Maybe it was just a great finish. Um, and then obviously against Atletico, there were so few chances. Um, and when it came, he made no mistake. So that was brilliant. I just want to finish with uh, a quick chat about Jack Grealish, uh, John, because uh, like he, he only came on for twenty minutes, and then he seemed to just get kicked up and down the pitch since he since he got on against uh, Atletico. What, what have you got any idea what he did to upset them? I don't think he did anything to upset them. I would guess I don't know this, but I I think that maybe Atletico have looked at um, Grealish and thought he's someone that can be wound up. We saw it earlier in the season at Southampton that draw against Southampton when Romeo. Um, was pinching him throughout the game and just just sort of irritating him and, and it worked. He got a rise out of Grealish. He lost a little bit of his composure. Um, I think we've seen it a couple of times for England as well. So I think they were just trying to wind him up. And yeah, I think Pep's message was, you know, you got to deal with this stuff and get on with it. And, um, yeah, He's I mean, a very thought- old man, isn't he? <laughs> I, you know, I think he, he's one of those players who who makes the most of his fouls. 
you know, it, it always looks like it's far nastier than it actually is. Um, I mean, the one way he got the ball booted at him, I thought initially thought he'd gone straight into his face. Could have killed and, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Famously could have killed him. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he's just got to deal with it, hasn't he? He's, you know, this is this is Atletico. This is this is what they're going to do. They're going to try everything they can to upset you and put you off your game. And he's just got to get on with it. Yeah, Chris is. Um, what would you make of him uh, this week? Because obviously he, he he was in the thick of it with uh, with Atletico, but also I thought he had quite a good game against Burnley as well. And it's it's kind of gone like untalked about. Yeah, it's been untalked about. Um, but when he's not doing enough in people's eyes that's very much talked about again it's like we have this uh complaints void don't we as city fans now that we're seeking to fill um with like because we're so used to historically having so much to moan about but he's doing he's doing really well people wanted him to be more positive and influence games more i think he's doing that gradually again it comes down to um players coming in and taking time to get into the stride. I think Pep is instrumental in kind of curbing um, some of the wilder instincts of players when they when they settle into the system and saying, concentrate on doing this and this and see how you go and then we'll, you know. I think that, that he's not te- receiving the ball, turning and trying to take people on on time because he's been specifically told not to do that and just to keep the ball. It's a completely different scenario to, to Villa. Um but he's doing really well. I can't really, I can't really fault him. I can't really fault him for getting annoyed that someone's kicked a ball in his face. Because if you're in that situation, it happens. It's impossible not to react. But I do concede that you know you must be kind of expecting them to try and wind you up. They were flicking him in the hair, weren't they? And like you know, coming behind him, flicking his head and stuff. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the Gucci. Uh, the deal. Contracts. Maybe they're all they're all Dolce and Gabbana guys. Maybe they're just a rivalry there. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly not going to lay into anyone for getting wound up like that because uh, anyone who's ever played with me on a football pitch knows it takes nothing to wind me up. So uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not one to start preaching. Not. I, I definitely don't practice what I preach in that uh, in that situation. Um, now, to finish the first part of the show, this is a topic that we've had to come back to all too many times on the podcast, but you might have seen the video on social media of Atletico Madrid fans doing Nazi salutes during Tuesday's game. Uh, now, we've asked UEFA for a comment on the video and whether they'll be investigating the incident. We haven't heard anything yet, uh, but we we will keep you updated on the situation. Um, I've seen a report in the Manchester Evening News as well that uh, uh, reports of racism were made to Greater Manchester Police at the game and that arrests have been made. Uh, they also say that they think that that uh, City are looking into the incidents from the game and uh, will be reporting anything they find to UEFA. But uh, whether there's going to be a formal investigation into the allegations, we don't know. Uh, but we will keep you updated on anything that uh, UEFA says. Now, we've all got our own individual stories of growing up as a City fan. For one supporter, though, City's fortunes on and off the pitch always seem to mirror his experiences growing up. Even as, as soon as picking City as his club, he ended up moving away. I've been speaking to Dickie Denton, the author of the new book Feeling Blue, about his memories of crossing the Pennines to get to Main Road, being the only City fan in a school of Leeds supporters and ending up amongst United fans when Sergio Aguero scored in May 2012. I moved to Leeds when I was about uh, 18, 19, 1975, just after, yeah, just before City won the League Cup, League, League Cup, League Cup actually. And, uh, 
Yeah, I was a new new kid at a school in Leeds, and, and the only thing I knew about Leeds fans was when they direct the Parc de France Stadium after the European Cup final in '75. So, so I had this view in my hand of of Leeds fans, and, and Leeds kids actually they they just seemed a lot harder than Manchester kids at school. So, yeah, I, I don't think I ever said I supported Leeds, but I kept it quiet that I, I supported City. Um, and that was until the League Cup final, because uh, my teacher class was a was a Geordie, uh, a guy called uh, Mr. Foster, who was actually the brother of Brendan Foster, the the uh, Olympic athlete. And uh, so he went to the the seventy six League Cup final, came in the, the next Monday at school, held up the program, and said whoever could tell him anything about the game could get to read the program at lunchtime. <laughs> And I thought, well, my hand just went straight up there, and you know, I named the whole team, uh, the referee, the scorers, everything, and and it all came out, and uh, yeah, felt really good, felt really good actually getting getting it all out there, and uh, um, yeah, and after that, it was it was city, everybody knew about it, and yeah, was that was that easy or, or difficult mm. growing up away from city and not really being being in contact with them? Um, yeah, it, it was. You know, Leeds at the time as well were were they were just coming out of the great very very years. So 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 Leeds was a massive footballing city, and 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 you know, and football was becoming very tribal in those days as as well. It was when when sort of football hooliganism started started as as, as well, and you know you want to be you want to be fit in with with with, with those around you. So yeah. It, we, it was a struggle, but it also gave me a, a point of difference and, 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 and something that made me stand out a little bit and, and, uh, and a real sense of pride. And uh, once it was out there, I wasn't going to shy away from it. So every Man City Leeds, Leeds game would, would, you know, uh, inevitable, inevitable sort of, you know, piss-taking and beforehand and afterwards. And, and as I got a bit older, you know, the taking became a little bit more physical at times if I'm perfectly honest in the playground but you know that 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 was it and uh very famous cup tie in 70 78 when Man City leads when 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 City won at uh Ellen Road went 2-0 up and the, the whole of the cop at Ellen Road attacked Joe Corrigan it, it seemed and the police came on and uh and all that and that was it that was interesting at school the next day well you were in the Leeds end uh, not for that game, no. I was, I was for, for a game previously when my dad took me to my first ever game at Ellen Road. My mum had just knitted me my first city scarf. <laughs> my dad took me and my sister and my brother, and my brother David, who is of, of Asian heritage as well, as well, so it was quite strange family dynamic. My dad was a university lecturer. Hadn't got a clue about football. He was from Northampton in university lecture. Didn't understand football. Didn't know where to go at Ellen Road. Paid three quid or whatever, and we ended up in the Gelder Road end, which was a cop at Leeds, which was there. And me with my city city scarf on, we lost two one, uh, and and we got away with it that that day. But uh, that cup tie with the, with, the, with the year after that, or a couple of years after that, actually. You were making the book. Your first game was a United game. Yes, um, yeah. you, you, you 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 yeah. wanted to be a, a ball boy at United, <laughs> yeah. but it was City that gave you the opportunity in the end. It was, yeah, yeah. So I went to this first game. It was United Sunderland seventy four when they were in the second division. And and uh, yeah, and I saw these ball boys at the side, red tracksuits, and 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 I thought I could do that. And so I wrote them a letter to to Old Trafford. My dad got the Woolworths pad out and wrote the letter. Never got a reply. Never got a reply. Um, and then just as coincidence would have it, what five six years later in the City program, you know, I've got a season ticket at City by then. I'm thirteen. Uh, I read in, the, in there, do you want to ball, be a ball boy at Manchester City? And, and so, you know, wrote, wrote another letter. And yeah, they invited me down and uh, 
for an interview and you know inverted commas a very loose interview told me what we had to do and uh yeah the yeah so i, I became a point to be a ball boy and uh so that was 79 80 season uh and then the 80 81 season the following season when john bond came along and we we, we got to the cup final and, and that so i did it for about a year and it was a a fantastic experience to be in that inner sanctum of Main Road, which which is you know nothing compared with what the Etihad looked like. Now it was all wood panels, and and uh, Eddie Large used to the comedian used to come into the ball boys dressing room and entertain us beforehand. And uh, I say ball boys dressing room, it was a storeroom for corner, corner flags and all the other crap that that they used on match day. But uh, yeah, we loved it. Yeah. 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 What um, I, I mean, you mentioned a few times as well that mm. um, kind of city's fortunes mirrored your academic fortunes yes. and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so on. Mm. How how did that carry on through uh, through the rest of kind of growing up? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I mean, I mean, city's fortunes up and down. My academic fortunes up 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 and down. Um, uh, and, and and I suppose every sort of career decision I took after that was sort of yeah yeah. It was guided by City. It was it was front of mind all, 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 always. You know, uh, I, I moved out. You know, I haven't lived in Manchester since I was eight. <laughs> yeah, so so every game's been almost like an away game to me. But uh, I'd always choose the city that went to based on the football teams and where I could I get to and the jobs. You know, I could could do the other company car and can I can I get up to City and two found opportunity came up to to go to the States as well, which made it a little bit different. I was going to say, you, you wouldn't yeah. have been commuting that one, would you? I wouldn't have been commuting that one. I remember, I remember, uh, you know, and I put it in the book, I remember them, them asking me about, you know, would you be willing to go to the States? And the, the, the first thing I think, because it was just after the Gillingham game, it was after the playoff final, the City were, were on the up, and we were getting a sense, actually, under Royal, we could be doing something here. You know, so before I started thinking about salary or security or healthcare or accommodation, I was going, "What time does the kick off in America?" and 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 will I be able to get back? Um, and actually, it did a deal where the company flew me back for a couple of games. There's, yeah. I mean, there's one big question here now mm. because um, where were you on the 13th of May, 2012? <laughs> well, fast forward and and uh, three years in the states, back to the UK, then 2008 to. The crazy thing was, Diageo, who I worked for, uh, offered me a job in Hong Kong uh, on the uh, on the 31st of August 2008, the day of the the day of the takeover. Yeah, and it's another one where I'm going, ah, I'm you know, should I be going or should I not? But I went, so I went to Asia, uh, Hong Kong for a year, then in Singapore. So I was in Singapore to to to, to cut to the end. A place called Robertson Key, uh, which is an, uh, mainly inhabited by sort of expats and, and Korean, which is a lot of open space and lots of bars, big screens, tiger towers, which were two and a half litre jugs of tiger beer, watching the football. And me and a mate who, as far as I knew at the time, was Singapore's only other city fan, would meet there late at night, of course, because of time different, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock normally at, at, at night sit there and watch City games so yeah uh, but I mean of course mm. there's a reputation for there being a lot of United fans in yeah. uh, in Asia so if you're a City fan there with you know late at night a couple of minutes to go United are winning the title yeah it was it was United fans Arsenal fans Liverpool fans you know a lot of people look at that day with great memories I look at it with great memories but I also look at it as for most of that night I was in a dark place a real just thinking what am I doing? What am I doing to myself? Surrounded by United fans, been following this team for so. Tonight was supposed to be payback night. It was supposed to be payback night, and there I'm going. 
this is just the worst, the worst ever. And uh, as, as Zabaleta goes down, wins that last corner, I pull out a, a handful of, of Singapore dollar notes, give them to my mate next to me who's watching it with me and say, and my phone mate, yeah, yeah. He says, no, stay, yeah. And then Jacko scored. And then Jacko scored, yeah. And then Jacko scored. And I thought, we, I just thought we're going to get one more chance. We're gonna get one more chance, and 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 yeah. So so what was mm. what was that moment like then? Uh, because I mean, for for a lot of your mm. well, for for mm. all your life, you've been quite disconnected from City yeah. in in that sense. Yeah. You've been a long way away from yeah. the club. Yeah. So Aguero scores, and there's there's you and your mate, and nobody else. What's what what yeah. was that like? Well, funny of my my, my, my my mate Chris, who's next to me, the, the City fan. My mate Ryan is is, is actually. There was a problem on the feed of the TV in Singapore and it kept buffering and it kept buffering all through the second half. I'd be like City's performance. In the book, I compare it to City's performance. It just kept stopping and starting. Oh, and, and my mate Ryan had got to find another bar with a, with a, with a better feed. So he's, he's gone and go, where's my mate Ryan? Where's my mate Ryan? And just, so I'm, I'm just, 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 just watching this thinking one more chance, one more chance. And then, funny enough, as we scored, I get up and 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 absolutely, and my friends are, are congratulating me as they've scored the winning goal, having not spoken to me for twenty minutes because they're not scared of of how I'm going to react. It's like I've got a terminal illness; they didn't know what to say. And then other pockets of people come out there, and all the all the just those Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans suddenly start and people just coming in and congratulating me. And and eventually, my, my mate Ryan comes back and he has found a bar. He's gone river, running down to Singapore River, taken a duck, come back. We hug each other like, you know, I don't know, like, I always say, like, survivors of a shipwreck, you united on, on a safe shore, and we just hug each other, and, uh, yeah, what a night, yeah. 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 Uh, the book's called Feeling Blue. The book's called Feeling Blue, it's, it's, it's by Pitch Publishing, it's uh, just Google Feeling Blue and Dickie Denton, and, and uh, I won't favour any one particular retailer on, <laughs> on it, because of the... Uh, it's listed with most retailers, uh, online retailers on, on it. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk is the Blue Moon Podcast. That was uh, author Dickie Denton speaking to me about his new book. It's now time to introduce Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Hi, Neil. Hello there. Uh, obviously, we are previewing uh, the game with Liverpool this weekend and the second leg with Atletico Madrid next Wednesday. Um, Neil, from a Liverpool point of view, uh, well, from a City point of view about Liverpool, uh, your form looks worryingly good at the moment. How are you playing? We're playing well. Um, we're, we're doing what needs to be done in games. I don't think, you know... Liverpool aren't putting in some sort of 90-minute performances where they're, they're, they're taking sides to the absolute cleaners. They're managing themselves through games. They're looking after the ball when they need to. They're looking after their opponent when they need to. They are, they're a different proposition to the side that City faced last October. I think that is fair to say. I think that there's, there's, there's a number of things different from then to now. I don't think it's as straightforward as, as one or two factors. I think that they're defending a little bit differently. I think it's worth sort of remembering in that game 
you know, Van Dijk had only been back two months. Now he's from a, from a long, long, long term injury. Now he's very much, you know, something to, a corner has been turned with him in general. I think a little bit in there, and I think that Liverpool that they are a, they are a different proposition, a better all round proposition um, than that than than the side back in last October. But I don't think that that necessarily counts for a great deal in this game from the point of view of the fact that listen, these I think are the two best teams in the world facing one another. And it's going to be a really, really sort of tight affair that'll be settled by one, maybe two goals if if one side's on top and the other one manages to break away towards the end of the game. I'm 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 going into this one like it is. It is a, it's a genuine clash of the titans. Yeah, John. For from a, a city point of view, um, how much of a balancing act are, is this game with the Atletico second leg after the games that they've just had this week? Yeah, I, well, obviously Pep rested a couple of players uh, away at Burnley. Bernardo wasn't involved. John Stones coming back from international break with a slight niggle was rested for that one. So, um, and Kyle Walker missed the game against Atletico through suspension. So you think, okay, those two haven't um, played in both those two big games. Um, I, you know, I think I, I would see it that Pep will go into these two as the biggest matches of the season so far and I think we've seen in the past that if it's the FA Cup that has to take a bit of a yeah. a second team or well more of a rotation that's the way it will go so I, I it's, think the, way, it's go, the way it was last season wasn't it certainly yeah so I think he'll he, he will go as strong as possible because you know it's been interesting throughout the Champions League stages where you thought perhaps it was a little bit a game that it could go a bit easier on in terms of his going full strength he's always pick big players and maybe rested them for the Premier League so there's no doubt the Champions League is a is a big one um but you know in a week of a FA Cup Premier League and Champions League match it's the FA Cup which comes very much third yeah I was going to ask you Neil does does the FA Cup change uh, Klopp's thinking for this game any any do you think no not at all uh I I, I don't I think that from Liverpool's point of view, it's, it's much the same as has just been described there, to be quite honest with you. I think the one thing that we have is we've got a 3-1 lead against Benfica. We've got the second leg at home um, and we've got the ability within that to feel as though I think Benfica gave us their best shot uh, the other night. I really do. Uh, and, and I think that they took a number of gambles, but ultimately they they, they rocked up to that game with a centre-half partnership of Nicolas Otamendi and Jan Vertonghen. Um, and and we, we, you, know, you don't you don't need to speak to us about the, about Nicholas Otamendi. We've got we've got long experience yeah. of Nicholas Otamendi, yeah. and you've and you've got experience of Nicholas Otamendi. What we can describe as his, as his pomp. Um, <laughs> this is this is a Nicholas Otamendi whose 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 career is only moving one way at this point, and that is with the greatest of respect and the greatest respect to Benfica. They gave us the best shot, and ultimately with three one up now. Listen, Liverpool will not take Wednesday night for granted in any way, shape, or form. There'll be tons of professionalism, but you know we've got a two-goal lead going into that game. We're now at home, and we can go from there. The cup, I think it'll almost be he'll have a look at who's in what nick come Friday and work that one out. And I think that Guardiola will do exactly the same thing. It's from a City point of view, it's all about Sunday and Wednesday. I think from a Liverpool point of view, it's more able to be all about Sunday, just simply because of where the ties are at and the relative quality of the opposition. Uh, but for me, the cup is a very, very, very distant third to the point that if you offered me a horrible, undeserved 1-0 win at the Etihad on Sunday and then next week in the cup, you embarrass us 7-0 at Wembley with the world watching, <laughs> I would take that right now um, rather than, uh, you know, than, than, than anything else. So I think that it'll be the same for it'll be the same for all parties. The idea is 
it's all about the league game. And then from a Manchester City point of view, obviously Wednesday does does, does at least have have something on the horizon for, for City. Yeah, Chris, it's it, it feels like when you take all the factors into account for this week, it feels like this is the most knife edge it's been for for a long time. And what what I mean by that is, you, City's lead in the table is one point. Liverpool have a slightly better goal difference. That doesn't really matter for much off this game because you know whatever the result, you know, goal difference isn't going to matter this week. But then Liverpool have City have got the game at home, which is a slight advantage there. But Liverpool have the slight advantage in the in the Champions League, as Neil was saying there, because their their tie slightly more advantageous in their favour. Uh, it, it feels like it's a real kind of like it could go one way or the other. This couldn't it? It's precarious, isn't it? Just just listen to the lads describe it there and. Oh, I'm getting these like vertiginous flutters of panic uh, in my chest, just trying to weigh it up. And I, I, yeah, it really could be a massive swing um, towards either um, a really positive end or a doomsday scenario kind of end to the season. I mean, I can't really add. Um, I can't like give you a, a fresh hot take compared to how the lads have described the, the upcoming fixtures because I tend to, I can't really disagree with anything that, that they've said. Well, let, um, let, me, let me let me play you this. This is uh, Guardiola speaking after the game uh, against Atletico about how he thinks the second leg is going to go. This is what he said. I don't judge what they do or when they are going to do because I don't know. So I don't, it's not I don't care. Of course I care, but it's more the fact that, uh, okay, we've fought the game. It was one game with 1-0 and after 1-0 was a little bit different. Okay, Lemar start to jump, all the players start to press a little bit higher, and uh, they make a little bit more combination. And I guess high part of the game in Madrid will be more what happened in the last maybe 50, 20 minutes after the goal than what happened before. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash blue moon podcast so chris would you be happier with atletico setting up a little bit more open than they did in the at the start of the game with city's one nil lead is that like like has that has that goal actually made this week slightly easier for city in knowing that that atletico can't sit back at their own place for 90 minutes and you know try and try and bore the game out yeah i think so i mean just watching the the home leg though the way um the way we set up against the kind of back 10 um you know we we kind of matched them there was we had five across the front a lot of the time and um, maybe it would have been you know you, you at the time you're thinking well maybe we should just let them come out a little bit and then we can get in behind a bit more but the goal does change it they're going to have to come out the only worry is um the sort of wind-up factor that, that they've got if we can keep our heads and be ultra professional about it then we really should be winning that game. And um, yeah. if we're going in there nil-nil, then yeah, I would feel a little bit more horrible about it. Yeah, Neil. The uh, obviously for this game, uh, this is this 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 weekend game is the one where um, either side can really take a take an advantage in the title race. Um, who's available for you? Who's not available? Who who do you want to see in the team? I think ultimately Liverpool are picking from certain options and certain positions for this one so just be really clear it'll be up front it could be three from any of the five uh so Firmino, Jota, Mane, Salah and uh, Diaz I think are all going to be in the shake-up it'll be from any of those five to three from any of those five to start is is Jota the one at the moment because he seems the one in form 
He's the one who's... So the, 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 the Jota question and the Jota thing is Liverpool, in sort of a holistic way, I think, play football slightly less well when Jota is on the pitch. But he is the one who's most likely to score. So scoring is the aim of the whole thing. <laughs> Your goals help. But Liverpool, I think Jota, Jota's funny. Since he's come in, he's come in first season, was under pandemic, and second season's now. But first season under pandemic, had a bad injury, as a lot of Liverpool players did. And we weren't playing all that well, and now second season's now. And he's never really in the same way that other players have had the opportunity to do so. He's never really got to build up proper relationships within the team. So Mane interacts really, really well with Robertson and a couple of other players in there. The right-hand side with Salah, Henderson and Arnold all works really well. Jota's moved between left and central predominantly whilst he's played for us so he's not really got like it's not clear who his mate is if you sort of know what I mean um whereas other players have got more relationships they've been here longer but also they've played in a more fluent Liverpool team for longer as well so Joss is a bit of a funny one so he is the one who you know ultimately if Liverpool if we're if, if one of our players is clean through with five to go and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a tied game at that point. I would most like it to be Diogo Jota. But the flip side is is, is whether or not the, where the quality of football is whilst he plays. His pressing's really good, don't get me wrong. He's great out of possession. It's just little bits when he's in possession. So it'll be three from those five. And then it'll be three from four in the middle of the park. Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson and Keita. Um, I suspect Fabinho will definitely start. I'd be 90% on Thiago. And then it's a split between Henderson and Keita for the other position. Whichever one doesn't start will definitely come off the bench. And then at the back, it'll be Arnold right back. It'll be Robertson left back. It'll be Van Dijk. And I'd, I'd be... Canate plays well midweek, but I suspect Canate plays midweek to ensure that Matip starts this one. So there's question marks in attack. There's one question mark, I think, in midfield. Back four and goalkeeper to be, I should expect. And and everyone is sort of broadly available. Uh, Keita has had a bit of an injury thing, but he, got, he, he plays 90 minutes against Benfica, which would suggest he won't start this. But it wouldn't surprise me if the manager in the end decides to go with Keita for an hour and then have the option of Henderson to do, to do 90 minutes running in 30 to help see the game home, whatever condition it's in. Yeah. Uh, John, from a, a City side, um, how different do you think the teams will be for, for Liverpool on Sunday than Atletico on, on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting the, the game against Atletico that Foden didn't start. Um, um, yeah, it, it felt like he was actually... Saw the way the game was going to go saw that they're going to have to tie them out and then had these options of fresh legs in Foden and Grealish. You know, I'd expect Phil to start against Liverpool. It's going to be interesting how the second leg goes. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar sort of scenario where Atletico just defend and defend and defend and, and trying to keep it nil-nil for an hour. So I don't see... I I think a bit like Neil was saying about, about Liverpool, I think he's he's going to look at who's, who's in form and who's playing well and who's fit and who's 100% ready and pick the best out of them. Yeah. Chris, for, for Wednesday's Atletico game, um, how much of it do you think will be uh, about who's still got, got energy in the legs? Because we've seen Liverpool games at the Etihad for a long time now be really, really high-paced, you know, real energy-sapping performances from both teams. Um, if Atletico are going to sit deep and, and, and kind of uh, kind of try and kill the game again, does it really matter if City if City go kind of like one hundred and ten percent for ninety minutes on Sunday? Well, it remains to be seen. Really, I mean, you want you want form players, you want you want rhythm, don't you? You want people who are playing well to continue in that vein. I mean, by the same token, though, it was a massive stroke to to take Foden out of uh, the reckoning against uh, Atletico in the first game because when he came on, he was just absolutely bang up for it. 
Um, and like I was saying earlier, the, the, the look in his eye, the, just a sense of determination in him was a step up from what is normally a, a very determined uh, professional anyway. But <laughs> the game against Liverpool, there's so many variables in that. You don't know how it's going to go. He's probably got a number of plans outlined for how he's going to proceed after the Liverpool game because, you know, it might it might be... It's been so billed, isn't it? It might just be a really drab nil-nil. Uh, and he's like, well, that's that's that one out of the way. Uh, <laughs> I, as, you but, were. as it happens, I don't see that happening, really. <laughs> well, you know, this, this, this is the thing, though. Everybody doesn't see it happening, so it might well do. I hope it isn't. Um, but I think I think he's going to be there's going to be a fair, it's going to be fairly reactive uh, from the Liverpool game rather than being sort of proactive looking forward to the Madrid game now a lot will depend on what happens in that Liverpool game I feel yeah in terms of um, energy expended how how people play and you know I, I, I be, wouldn't be surprised if um, there's a couple of injuries because there's a lot on the line isn't there. Yeah. Um, Neil, in terms of uh, of this game, obviously after this game, both teams will have seven games left. Um, do do either of them need to win it? I don't think so, no, um, to be honest. If we win it, we're too clear and there's still everything to play for from a Manchester City perspective. Uh, I think it's important Liverpool don't lose it because I think four clear does shift mentalities. It shifts mentalities both from a City point of view but also I think from a Liverpool point of view. Like suddenly... You know, around the, in between, uh, if we get through to the next round, I still think it's likely we play Bayern Munich, even though they, they have a negative result against Villarreal. But in the middle of that, we've got Newcastle at half twelve on a on a Saturday away, and if we're four points behind City, come that game, the manager will be well within his rights to focus on on Europe. Uh, I would argue. So I think it's important Liverpool don't lose it, and I don't think we need to win it. I think there's a lot of chat about who's got in inverted commas the easier running. I think for these two sides. They are so vastly superior to every other team in the division. The only side that I think can hold a candle to them on their day uh, is Chelsea, and they we've both played them twice. So I'm not, you know, we've got to play Manchester United, but as we all know, Manchester United are rubbish. So there'll be a thing where everyone will like that. <laughs> hey, you've got game. Everton yet, mate? Yeah, we've got we've got Everton, and, be, and, and, and my word, you know, there'll be there'll be there'll be a lot of chat as though Liverpool's running is tougher than City's. I sort of just don't think it is. I'm more worried. I'm, I've got mild concerns about Tottenham at home because they're, they're more than capable of upsetting any apple cart as, as City have discovered this season and we discovered when we went to their place. But ultimately, I'm more worried about Villa away. And if I was a City supporter, I'd be more worried about Wolves away potentially than, than hypothetically if you had to play Man United again away. And this is this is the truth of where these two sides are. For me, it's not... You listen, if I was looking at City's running and they, they managed to somehow have Norwich six times... Then I'd be saying absolutely, you know, this is this that theirs is far, far, far more straightforward. But you know, City have still got to go to West Ham. That won't be easy. City themselves, when they seem to drop points, it it seems to a little bit come out of nowhere. There's some teams that sit between sort of seventh and fifteenth that just have a good sense of how to play <laughs> against City. Yeah, that that Very side. True. That side that sit fourth, fifth, and sixth just sort of don't like you know. Honestly, if City had Arsenal away between now and the end of the season. I would not have a red circle around that as a potential drop points game, but I potentially would, as I said before, about Wolves or, or Villa. West Ham, yeah. West Ham. So I think that there'll be a lot of chat about that. But ultimately, both of these sides are capable of drawing on Sunday and then both winning every game from then until the end of the season. They are both capable of that. And if that happens, 
you know, maybe I'm more philosophical, but we can shake hands and go home and we can start again in August because that's what's going to happen. Um, and City can lift the league and that's great. And I hope we go and win the Champions League or, or, or the FA Cup or both. Yeah. There's like, this is sort of the business end, but the flip side of it being the business end for me is you have to be attuned to the idea that if we are dealing with the two best teams in the world, and I genuinely think we are, then one will win and one will lose come the end of May. But that won't mean the end of anything for either of them. It means that some some seasons you just come off second best and you shake hands. And maybe that's a bit easier for us because at the start of the season, there was the ridiculous thing with the BBC, and it was ridiculous at the time, where there was you know the vast majority of BBC pundits, and by vast majority, I think I mean all but one, didn't put Liverpool to finish top three as though Chelsea and Manchester United have ever won in the last five years, eight, nine, ten consecutive Premier League games. I wasn't aware of that. That's pretty amazing to be. All but one (laughs) did not have Liverpool in the top three. All but one. Um, And it's ridiculous. It it was ridiculous then. It was ridiculous at the time. Because my position all the way through was Liverpool and Manchester City, the, the current iterations, know how to win. Look, go on long winning and unbeaten runs in this league and, and United and Chelsea just don't and, and yeah. guess what Chelsea go and get whacked 4-1 by Brentford at the weekend and then and then drop point sorry get, get embarrassed by Real Madrid because they're just not as good and they won't be as good in August either probably and you know for me whatever happens this weekend I'm really looking forward to it because firstly one of the best games I've ever seen was the January 2019 game it was literally one of the best games of football you've ever seen secondly as I said to David on, on, on the show the other week we, we've really quickly forgotten as humans that 12 months ago we would not have been able to attend this match we've all forgotten that we've all took that for granted now we can so let's let's absolutely look forward to it and relish every minute of it but the other thing is we're going to be doing it again we're doing it again in the semi-final we might end up doing it again in the Champions League final. We're doing it again for certain next season because thankfully, unlike Everton, neither of us are going down. Um, <laughs> and then next season, it could come in another in another massive game. You know, nothing that in people's minds, I think when there's a massive game like this, it feels like it's the end of everything, no matter what the result is one way or the other. Nothing's finished on Sunday. Uh, the final whistle goes and there's still however many more league games to play, however many more games all comes to play. You've got to go off to Madrid and see if you can get you can get through there. You know, that's why I think it's going to be a damp squib and like a nil nil. Everyone goes. I think oh. I think there's a chance. That I I think if it was, I'd love to know what both managers do if it's nil nil on seventy because it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if if in in the subtle way that sometimes happens in football matches, both managers sort sort of go, let's just get out of this now. Yeah. But I think there's a chance it becomes a bit of a runaway game, um, it, one way or another. And I think if that happens, I think that would just suit Liverpool a little bit more. But then I think it would suit the Etihad. You know, the Etihad factor then comes into it as well if it does become a bit yeah. of a runaway game. I'm just really looking forward to it. I genuinely am. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm made up. I'm going. I'm not going the semi final. I'm going to this, and I'm glad I'm that way round. Yeah, John. Um, I want to ask you the same question. Do uh, does either side need to win this? Uh, well. I mean, just I think Neil's pretty much covered it there. I mean, you, you have to say that whoever comes out of this with in front, um, you, you can see them winning every game between now and the end of the season. You know, Liverpool can do it, City can do it. Um, and, you know, when you when you talk to Pep about approaching, you know, these winning streaks, he just says it's game by game. And when you do that, and you go, yeah, you, you can pick out games that you think are tough like uh, Wolves away and West Ham away. But when they come round, suddenly everyone can see a victory. And if you do it one by one, it's more than conceivable that after this game, City and Liverpool both win every single match and that whoever 
wins on Sunday, wins the league. At this point, Chris, uh, would you be happy with a point? Or would you gamble it to, to try and get that, that points advantage? Um, as much as I want to win it, I would probably, just by virtue of the fact that we're currently ahead, I would take a point, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Pep probably would as well. Neil, same question. Would you take a point right now? Just about yes. Um, there's a lot of Liverpool supporters who wouldn't, and I completely understand why. Uh, but I think ultimately, I think that a good almost KPI for Liverpool for this season would be to be in everything until the last game. Uh, each of the three remaining competitions to be in everything until the last game would be great. Uh, I.e. the two finals and, and, and take this to the last weekend of the season, no matter which way it moves. Um not that a bad said, position to be in that, is it? No, it's a, it's a with with one trophy already already in. You know, it's a fantastic position to be in. It really is, and and I, I as I say, I, I wouldn't take that for granted. That said, I, I might feel differently as the game sort of unfolds because I think if there's, there's there's if Liverpool can sense some some vulnerability in in City, then I think it's important they go for it. Uh, I think it's important in every way they go for it and they, and and they find a way through. If you know. If we get to 45 and, and City look imperious and Liverpool look immovable, then I'd probably be back to where I am now, which is which is that, you know, nil-nil is or 1-1 one, one or whatever's absolutely fine. Uh, so I probably would just just err on the side of, of taking a point, not least because I think there's something else, which is I ultimately think whatever the Manchester City supporters think or feel, I ultimately think that somewhere... For the Manchester City players and the Manchester City coach, if at some point a big decision's got to be made in terms of focus and legs between the two tournaments that they remain in, uh, that they really want to win, they'll pick the European one because they've not won it. And that could just come into our favour in the context of City maybe dropping points in one game between now and the end of the season. Whereas I don't think that's quite the same for Liverpool. I think we're just happy for either of the big two and we'll play, we'll play the hands that were dealt as we go. So... There's there's a little bit of the psychology of that where let's be clear about this the, the the Manchester City manager who you know I won't have a word said against I think he's great I think he's funny and I think that people outside of of the Manchester City bubble often don't get his jokes even the stuff like at Anfield where there's the thing of him you know claiming the second hand ball and ends up sort of putting two fingers to God uh, as he does it which people <laughs> laugh at I think I think he knows the ridiculousness of that I really do I don't think he's I don't think he's that precious I like him an awful lot I think though he on a personal level, will be absolutely desperate to win a Champions League um, with this with this group, and he'll know that this season's as good a ch- chance as any. So, I, I feel if we got out with a draw, I'd still be pretty confident that if we won every game, we would win the title. I think we wouldn't be able to. We'd have to win every game. Don't get me wrong. I think we'd have to win every game. But if we got out with a draw, I'd, I'd have confidence that if we won every game, we, we would lift the title at the end. And so that's why that's as much of a reason why I'd be happy with the draw as anything else. Yeah, John, I'll complete the set because I would bite your hand off for a draw right now. What would you do? Uh, I'm not sure bite biting hand off, settle for it, I think. I think if City can win um, at the weekend, it really is a big advantage, four points. Um, I, I think that changes a lot. Um, but equally, yeah, like I said before, I think Liverpool win and, yeah, you can just see them grinding getting through those games and winning every single one of them. So a, dra- a draw keeps everything, everyone happy, keeps it alive and keeps City slightly ahead. 
Keeps me nervous as fuck as well. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get some predictions on the board. Uh, we had two wins on last week's show for the charity bet. That takes us to £1,340 for the season so far. Um, we got a bit excited on Twitter and called it our best ever season on the charity bet. Sadly, it's not quite that yet. We need one more win. We actually need about £10. Uh, so, uh, hopefully, we can get there this week. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support, which is helping the Trussell Trust tackle food poverty in Manchester. They collect outside weekend home games at the Etihad so they'll be there ahead of the Liverpool game go and see them between two and four o'clock on Sunday uh, they'll be under the bridge near Asda so uh, please drop in with a donation if you can um, normally I start with the guests but there's a reason I'm going to start with uh, the City fans this time uh, John what are you going for for uh, both uh, Liverpool and the Atletico game I've got 1-1 1-1 for Liverpool and Atletico 1-1. Ah, there we go. Pair of 1-1s is 6-1. Uh, nice. And it's a pair of 6-1s as well, so it's 60 quid in both games, if you're right. Uh, Chris, what are your two scores? 2-1, uh, 2-1. Yeah, 2-2-1s. Two, two uh, a brace of 2-1s. Uh, they're both 8-1, to one, so uh, both 80 quid if you're, if you're right in either of them. Um, I've gone 1-0 uh, for the Atletico tie, which is 13-2 to two and £65 if I'm right. Neil, your, your time to shine. What, uh, what are you going for for this one? I mean, I want to be, I want to be quite clear here. David has ever so slightly set me up. He's encouraging us to back a Liverpool win. Um, and then I thought, if Liverpool win, how do I imagine the game going? And I thought, all right, there's a universe where the following happens, which is that it's, it's nip and tuck between the two sides. Liverpool end up getting the noses in front. City begin to claw it back um Liverpool end up 3-1 ahead uh City get one back uh, and it goes 3-2 um and then Liverpool get a breakaway and so because it's a charity bet I, please do not stake your own money on what I'm about <laughs> to say is the the important part here but because it's a charity bet and I presume it'll be pretty big odds if it comes in uh, and the charity is obviously a fantastic and much needed one at the minute I have gone for Manchester City 2 Liverpool 4 well, you know what? Just if, the four. Uh, yeah, if, if we are if we are going to lose the league, and this is the this is the game that happens to it. I, I hope it happens this way because you'll you, it's the, the it would be the biggest ever win we've had at ninety to one and nine hundred pounds. If you're right, there we are. That that's the spirit. That is the spirit <laughs> I'm going for in this. Uh, for your listeners, if this. I mean, if it's three, what I would say to your listeners, if it's three two on ninety two minutes, and you feel as though it's not happening uh, from a city point of view, maybe will Liverpool to go and get the fourth then, uh, <laughs> and, and and we can put nine hundred quid for the food banks. Yeah, who who knows? Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Neil, as ever, thank you very much. It's been good fun. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I am. I, I'm not. I'm not going to enjoy Sunday, so I'm not even going to bother with the with the pleasantries of uh, pretending to say, yeah, oh, enjoy it. Because all of I, your listeners ignore can't. David and enjoy Sunday. <laughs> Enjoy Sunday because 12 months ago you wouldn't have been allowed to go. Now, this run of games is getting pretty tense. This week we've asked some of our regular guests on the podcast to remember games at the Etihad where they could feel the pressure inside the stands. And it's fallen to me to get biting my nails. After the win over Burnley, Pep Guardiola was pretty relaxed in his press conference. He was asked about the pressure of the end of the season and how his players were reacting. They know how hard they fought and how tough is the opening, how difficult is the Champions League, how difficult is the Fair Cup. And they feel it, yeah, of course they feel it. But Liverpool feel it too. So they know it. City fans are no stranger to nerves in big games at this point in the season, especially at the Etihad. Richard Burns picks out the two that he considers the most memorable. United 2012 and Liverpool 2019 are certainly up there with the tensest I've ever been at the Etihad. I could probably think of games that 
come close, but um, I'd be racking my brain somewhat because the rivalry made those ones so tense. He says the first of those games was a difficult watch. The United game City, um, I think, was fraught because City really had things in their hands, but they were heading for that first title of the Premier League era, that first title that so many of us have seen. And they had to overcome the biggest rivals to do it, that team that was always there to knock us down. That, Richard says, was a different kind of tension to the match in 2019. Liverpool was a little bit different because it felt like City had something to lose. They were the reigning champions, but they went into that game knowing that if Liverpool won, realistically they would have put themselves out of sight. It was, um, it was horrifically tense. And I think at that point, really, the City-Liverpool game and maybe any City-Liverpool game since has been between arguably the two best teams in Europe. So it even comes with that tension of just going into the game knowing that you're playing an absolutely spectacular team. There may be trouble ahead. Richards hit upon something there. It's not just playing the best teams that make the most pressured games, it's playing the best teams with something on the line. It's the knowledge that the season could come down to that match and that match alone. At this point, we know you're all thinking about QPR in 2012. Well, spoiler alert, we told our guests not to pick that game because we'll be doing something a lot more in-depth about it at the end of this season, even though we accept that, yes, it was a very, very tense afternoon. Other title-deciding games were in the mix, though. Kieran Murray remembers quite a nervy evening against Aston Villa in 2014. This was a game that was postponed for ages because of City's involvement in uh, the League Cup final and things like that. So it kept getting put off and put off and um, the fact that it became the second last game of the season then just added the tension to it. Kieran says that game was worse because of the heavy rain that night. But when the breakthrough came from Edin Dzeko, everyone was able to relax a bit. So I missed the entirety of the first half because of traffic and the rain and stuff didn't help. Um, so I was listening on the radio and it was crazy tense. You could almost hear the tension from the stadium as you listened on the radio. I don't know, you know, just that traffic jam and everything, everything just felt angsty and anxious and apprehensive and it was just horrible. So when Jacko opened the score and it was just a complete release, such a bubble bursting. He says the mood changed quickly that evening. Full time was amazing, obviously because it was a night game and because of the rain and because it looked as if we'd wrapped up the three points, the stadium had kind of emptied out a little bit, but it was worth staying till full time mainly because Yaya scored one of the great City goals, one of the great Yaya Torre goals. And then it was just a party atmosphere after that. Uh, all we needed after that game was a point against West Ham at home. I think City had only been topped that season for like 11 days or something. Uh, and then all of a sudden, here we were, penultimate game of the season. After 64 minutes of a 0-0, terrifying draw, suddenly um, winning 4-0. That release at full time in the penultimate game of the season was echoed some five years later. This time City had had a battle with Leicester, and Vincent Kompany's long-range pile driver in the second half was enough for the three points. Adam Carter says he was a bag of nerves. We had to wait till the actual Monday night to play our game, so it was an even longer wait, which I think added to the tense atmosphere around the stadium. And obviously as the minutes went on, you're looking around thinking, where's the goal coming from? When company stepped up in the 70th minute, 
And I think by that point, there's there's obviously the famous adage of, oh, Vinny, don't shoot. But actually, I was willing him to shoot because we needed something that w- it wasn't going to come from tippy-tappy football. This was something that needed a thunderbolt to break the net. Adam says his mind was racing as the minutes ticked by. He's thinking of all the other outcomes that could happen uh, if we don't um, go through that game without a victory. And then Ian Acho steps up at the other end and... I like to think passes it blissfully wide of Edison's post just as a nod to his previous standing as a City player and the Liverpool fans were up in arms about that so that adds a nice little touch to it as well. So far we've only covered tense games at the Etihad when the title was on the line but this wouldn't be City if there weren't equally nervy moments at the other end of the table too. When we asked for the games when he felt the pressure, Dan Burke's mind went right back to the first season at Eastlands and a 1-0 win over Newcastle. I remember we went into that game, uh, we were just three points above the relegation zone at the time. Relegation was a real danger. We hadn't won since that uh, the 4-1 win over United. I think that was eight games previously, uh, a couple of months earlier. It was the third to last game of the season and it was billed as a real must win for City. If we didn't win this one, you know, there was a very serious chance we were going down. And it was against a Newcastle side who were, who were decent at the time and pushing for top four. So it was going to be a really tough game. Dan still remembers the winning goal clear as day. In the second half, Nicholas Anelka found a red bit of space down the right and he crossed in for Paolo one shot to head in what proved to be the winner and everyone went crazy. I think aside from the, the Derby game that season, I think that was probably the most we'd celebrated a goal at the at Eastlands at that point. It felt like such a huge relief, like a, a weight was being lifted from our shoulders and I remember everyone celebrating coming out the ground at full time like we'd won the league or something. Uh, not that most of us knew what that felt like at the time. So at this stage you might be thinking that the high pressure games are confined to the title run-ins and the relegation fights, but as Chris Higginbottom remembers, that's certainly not true. In terms of confidence going into the game, I don't remember being too overly confident I mean I never am anyway but back then we weren't um, we certainly weren't a force that would merit 100% confidence going into a game like that he's talking about the match with Spurs in 2010 City lost 1-0 on a night that sent their opponents into the top four at their expense the longer the game went on at 0-0 you do get those old uh, familiar jitters starting to form and I know there's something about Spurs as well. The longer the game goes on, you are starting to think, "Oh, aye, aye, this has got, this has got a horrible one 0 written all over it." And when uh, Crouch scored, yeah, you are thinking that was the inevitable. It was building towards it anyway. He missed a chance by I don't know about three millimeters that a taller man would probably have uh, have scored. But he didn't get that one. Got a, a scruffy header later on. Chris says his experience of City in the 90s, though, had got him ready for the disappointment of losing that tense game. It was treading a well familiar path through uh, an all too familiar emotional wasteland, really. So, although it was disappointing at the time, I think even then, when you were at the beginning of a journey, there was also bigger disappointments in the past, especially looking back over the, uh, you know, the rose-tinted retrospectacles. Um, yeah, disappointed, but not, not overly gutted. That night obviously didn't end how City fans wanted, but as we've heard from some of the other podcast regulars, there have been plenty of tense matches at the Etihad that have gone City's way. Richard Burns says the feeling after them is almost indescribable. The release of tension 
is maybe the greatest joy in victory as a football fan. It was just the most outrageous. Build up and build up and build up right up until the full-time whistle and then just just euphoric celebration. That's the word I'd use to describe it. Just pure euphoria. And City fans will be hoping for plenty of that pure euphoria over the next few weeks. Hi, I'm David James and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was a look at some of the tensest Etihad games. Uh, Chris, you're obviously in that feature, um, uh, talking about the uh, the Spurs game in uh, in 2010. Are there any any other games that stand out for you as as the tensest ones you've been at? Um, that other Spurs game um, with the handball, uh, Lorente goal, and the the disallowed St- the Sterling game. Yeah, uh, I'm still not over that. To be honest, <laughs> um, honestly, it's, it really, really still rankles. Um, oh, can I have a moment? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you um, what. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to John then. While you, while you, while you, while you compose yourself, I'll go to John. Uh, any, any tense moments for you, John? Yeah, as, as ever, I'm going to go way back. Um, I'm going to go back to 2000 when the last home league game of the season against Birmingham City, needing to win to confirm promotion. Although obviously it was subsequently, it was it Charlton or Ipswich who balls it up. I can't remember. Yeah, it was it was uh, Charlton against Ipswich the next day. Charlton yeah. had already won the league, and Ipswich had to win at the at the Valley to yeah. um, to do it. And it was went, at they, Charlton, they went, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and they went there. They went there and won like three 0 or something, just like really bossed it. And I was like, what, can, can, you had yeah. one job, Charlton. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a but that Birmingham City game, if I remember rightly, it was a Friday night. Um, oh, it was, yeah. And I was just felt. Ill and sick all day, completely. Just an absolute bag of nerves. And um, by full time, I just didn't feel any sort of joy or happiness. I just, I just had a massive headache. I just wanted to go out. <laughs> did you go on the pitch? I didn't go on the pitch. I did. No, no. I, I was on the pitch a week later at Blackburn. But so you were on the pitch after Birmingham. Yeah, I, um, I, I can't really remember it. My mate Will um, reminded me of it because he picked it as one of his games that made me, uh, which I think is next week actually. Um, but he, he reminded me that that we went on the pitch after the, after that game, um, and I think he says he, he took a handful of the penalty spots. Something. <laughs> There's always some some sort of you know strange looking person doing a, a sort of hoe down jig. Was it was that you? Uh, this game that probably wasn't me because I I don't dance in public as it happens. Right. So uh, yeah, uh, Chris, are you, are you composed? Are you back with us? Yeah, back in the room. Yeah. Anything? Any other tense games that you remember, or is that uh, is well, it just I mean, Spurs every time? You can't really um, you can't really have this conversation without mentioning the QPR game. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did say like... I, I did say in the feature that we were discounting that because we are doing something a bit later on. But I didn't say that to you, so crack on. Yeah, well, I'm counting it. Um, there it is, counted. I mean, <laughs> that was un- unbelievable levels of um, well, just such a massive downer when you resigned to to not not doing it, and then obviously we all know what happened then. And yeah, pandemonium, joy, 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 joy. I could still watch that even now, and you get goosebumps and tears in your eyes. Just ridiculous. Yeah, well, John John gets the same with Bob Taylor's goal against Birmingham, don't you, John? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't think it's even on YouTube, is it? I, I, it must be. It must be somewhere. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Uh, right, that's the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests, Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much for having me. And Jonathan Smith. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like some more podcasts to listen to or you'd like to listen to this show each week without the adverts then you can sign up to our Patreon page there's a bonus episode every Monday this week's is a City Heaven City Hell Newcastle fan Alex Hurst joined me and Dom Farrell to pick the good and the bad between the two sides here's a clip there was a real sense of of that's done and I remember the the weeks it was a Sunday so there was a full week to the QPR game and I remember that the week just kind of feeling fairly Sort of blissful. I, I mean, whenever you, whenever you remember the end of the season, you always remember it being being sunny. And I was living in the centre of Manchester at the time, so it can't have been sunny all week. So I, <laughs> that is my memory of it. Of just it being sort of like this, you know, this blissful sort of hazy time. It's a it, it kind of particularly the way Torre scored that like that, that opening goal just looks so. They say it's talking of a heaven game. It's such a heavenly finish. The way it sort of. Alison, help me out. Who, who would Newcastle's goalie have been at the time? Tim Krul, was Tim that? Krul. Yeah. Tim Krul, yeah. It, sort of, it sort of, it pitches sort of just in front of Krul and spins the net. It, it like, it's a little bit like in cricket where a bowler gets one to nip back and sort of rip out the off stump. It was just, it's just a beautiful looking goal and it was like, right, that's it. That's going to be the image of the title win or, or so we thought. More of that on this week's Patreon bonus show. You can get that right now by signing up at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. There's two thirds of a season of shows in our new formats, plus all of last season's played for both episodes available as well. All well worth the £2 per month, even if we do say so ourselves. Uh, join me again next week to review everything that happens in these two big games coming up. And remember, deep breaths, everyone. It begins. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast